Hello, and welcome to this episode of What's Wellness Podcast, a place where I discuss the physical, energetic, mental, emotional, and spiritual components of wellness, as well as your healthy relationships with yourself, with one another, and with the planet. I'm your host, Alia, founder of Alia Yoga and Alia Yoga Academy teacher training and mentorship programs. And today, I have the pleasure of sharing an interview with you that I conducted several months ago already with a very special human in the trauma healing and yoga community. Lauren Duke owns Gather in Encinitas and Yosemite, which are modern community centers that specialize in nervous system education, the somatic process that is healing from trauma, as well as mental health advocacy and social movement. Based on that, you can probably imagine that Gather is more than a yoga studio. It is a collective, a co-op, and a safe haven for humans to come together and be unapologetically, authentically yourself. Lauren is also a writer and has a book coming out very soon that is already available for you to pre-order. We'll talk about that in depth throughout our conversation. And Lauren's interview is a wonderful and vulnerable experience where she shares parts of her story that have led her to writing this memoir and has also inspired her to help others heal trauma, especially related to how trauma can be stored in the nervous system. I relate deeply to a lot of what Lauren shares as I have also experienced trauma, as many of you have as well. And I believe that nervous system regulation and learning how to downregulate is paramount for healing. I am trying to keep this intro rather short because the interview is a bit long, but I do have wise words of the week for you today coming from Gather's Instagram feed that really resonate with me. The post says, forgive yourself for the times you left your body. Mm, This speaks to me because for a long time, I felt not connected with my body. I had disassociated from my body because it was riddled with pain and discomfort. I became overly analytical and used thoughts and logic to navigate through life rather than feeling into my body and listening for guidance through trusting my gut and intuition. I spent the majority of my 20s not living in my body and have had to integrate various practices to reconnect with my vessel. Through learning how to understand emotions and my feelings, as well as giving myself the safe space to process, I have learned to identify when and why I leave my body and how to come back home to myself. So with all of that said, I could go on and on about that topic personally, but I really like the way this quote reminds us to forgive ourselves. Additionally, today, I have warm words of the week to share with you from Kristen Kurtz, who says, I have known Alia for years. She is my yoga teacher and now great friend. Alia is such a warm spirit that uplifts you with her words and energy. 
You will enjoy hearing her voice and what she shares on this podcast. I enjoy the people she has conversations with in addition to what she has to offer on the topic of wellness. Oh, Kristen, that gives me all the joyful feels. Thank you so much for those warm words. I have, in fact, interviewed Kristen for a future episode of What's Wellness, so stay tuned for that episode to come out soon. If you're inspired to leave a review, go into the iTunes podcast app, leave a five-star rating and review, and I'll be sure to read it on air. Please hang tight as I share a quick word about Anchor, and I'll be right back to introduce you to an exceptional interview with Lauren Duke. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to What's Wellness podcast today. I'm beyond excited to have Lauren Duke as a very special guest on the show. Welcome, Lauren, and thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. You're such a professional. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's kind of you to say. I'm really excited to share some time and energy, share your story, and I'd love for you to introduce yourself. And then my first question will be, what's wellness look and feel like for you today? Absolutely. This is always, I feel like every time someone asks me this, I'm just like, uh, because there's so many things that I do and that I've been up to. And I am a business owner. I am the founder of Gather Encinitas, which I call a modern community center or a community care center. I am a friend. I'm an educator. I'm really involved in trauma work. I have now written my memoir, my first book called Shit House, which is about intergenerational trauma or transgenerational trauma, but told through the story of um, my life. And uh, I'm actually working on my second book as well <laughs> right wow. now, which is, um, which I'm not going to give any spoilers about. <laughs> Congratulations. That's so exciting. Thank you. So what does wellness look like for you just today? How about? Yeah. So today wellness would be really slowing down. I had a conversation um, with my book coach this morning about, um, I, I feel like I'm in the middle of really incubating an idea that I have felt very passionate about, um, for quite a bit of time, but I was working on another project and couldn't, couldn't get to it at that point. But I, um, even with my book coach this morning, I decided to stretch a a three month program out to maybe a six or nine month program out. So I can really metabolize the information and incubate the idea and, and, and just take my time with it. And I'm really feeling that, um, just in the energy of the day. I mean, it's, I think it's raining for you guys down there too. We've had a a, a reemergence of, of winter, here. And I just came back from a, um, a a trip with 16 people. And so, yeah, I just am like really slowing down, which anyone who knows me knows that that is just not a part of my system. So actually that's what COVID has kind of, um, erupted from me is, is a little more of the slowing down for sure. Mm. 
I love that that's where you went with this question because it's so important. And I resonate with the mentality of slowing down being not something I'm used to, but COVID has brought out for me too. And it's really healing and therapeutic in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't, I will never live the way that I was living ever again. And it's interesting now that I'm not living in Encinitas or just a city or I'm not hearing traffic. I have moved to Ojai. We live in the country and um, to see the difference in my nervous system that I didn't even have the capacity to see before because I was just in the grind every single day. And, you know, I was someone, I mean, this is what got me into all the trauma work, but like I had been dealing with, um, you know, chronic anxiety and, and panic attacks since I was 26 years old. And it's been pretty amazing what's happened to me this last year is I, my system is just completely calmed down and I'm not experiencing a lot of the symptoms that I was experiencing living in a city. And, you know, that's, that's because of COVID. I mean, COVID has for a lot of people, I think forced everyone to to just do what they didn't want to do, you know, what's out of natural patterning and what's out of our, our habituations and, you know, our just software programming. And I think it's been amazing for people. So much new information to see for all of us. Right. And such a flip of the script to look at it that way. I can really appreciate it because you're seeing COVID through the lens of what it's done for you in a positive way, as opposed to all of the fear and worry and, and tragedy of it? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was on another podcast and I worried about this coming off the wrong way, but it makes a big difference that I am in the position and that I have the privilege to actually be able to rest into space and slowness. And not a lot of people have that, you know, and I, yesterday we went to dinner and um, I was watching the waiter run around and I was just thinking to myself, like, man, I, that is what I always had to do was like hustle for 75 bucks and mm -hmm. to live like that. I mean, there's, it's, I mean, that's the majority of the population. And I just feel really, really, really grateful that I am in a place of privilege and I do get to not have to worry about that. And, and I just feel really lucky. I love that. And I agree totally. I mean, we're not to say that this hasn't been difficult. Of course, it has been for a lot of people also tragic. You and I have also witnessed a lot of what it's done for people's mental health and even physical well-being unrelated to the virus, but yeah. you know, it's impacted us in a lot of different ways. And we could spend an hour more talking about this, but I, I really want to talk about your book and, and the trauma and the healing and your nervous system and, and all of those really interesting things as well. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing though, is it's all one big interconnected web, <laughs> you know? So um, the things that we've witnessed happen to people in our community that, you know, maybe were not because they had coronavirus, but it, it was a, a byproduct of that. You know, it's like none of these incidents are isolated incidents. They're, it's, it's a continuum. It's like one thing is affecting the next thing. And, and that, in essence, is, 
is really why I wrote my book, although I didn't realize that's why I was writing it at the time. I just couldn't hold it in anymore. And I, it needed to go somewhere because um, it was hurting me, you know, it was, it was damaging me because I hadn't processed the information. And luckily, so, so all of a sudden it was like, okay, I cannot hold this in anymore. And my first, um, you know, the first round was really just verbal diarrhea, <laughs> to be honest, but it was so absolutely 100% therapeutic. And, you know, now that I've written it several times and I've been through, you know, several rounds of copy editing and I've, I mean, not just cop, oh my gosh, I've been through hundreds of revisions and, and anyone who's going to write a book and actually get it published, be prepared for that. Mm. Um, uh, it, it's, it's a lot, but now I have the capacity because I have written it so many times and seen it from so many different angles and had so many people help me with it. Like I can see the bigger picture of it. And I didn't know that it was about kind of breaking these systemic patterns of our families and I didn't, I, I couldn't have said that five years ago, but now I realize that really is what it's about, you know, and, and the book is called Shit House and it's coming out next year. And um, it was interesting. Someone who read it, she said something, I'm getting all this like amazing feedback from some of my beta readers um, helping me think it's different when you're, um, when you're the subject of the book, it's subjective, you know, but when all of a sudden you're a reader of it, it becomes so much more objective. But she said, it's dissolving the binary between, you know, or the, the line, the edge between good and evil. Um, because what it really is, the book in its bigger picture is an examination of the anatomy of someone's psychology and understanding what someone's been through and not only what they've been through, but what their parents have been through that they taught their children and then how their children are playing it out in their lives. Mm -hmm. And in essence, I mean, that is um, that's what transgenerational or intergenerational trauma is. And, you know, people think of trauma, I think we're, we're getting to a point just in our culture where this is becoming more of a buzzwords or people are becoming more educated, but oftentimes people, you know, when they think of trauma, they think of a traumatic event, you know, they think of like, or something horrific, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be something horrific. It could literally be one little thing that that is said that you know ruptures a boundary in someone's nervous system or makes them like stop in their tracks and then they're thinking about that thing for their entire life or that that thing becomes a belief system and affects their nervous system and and therefore not just affects their nervous system but affects the programming on genes you know which is why you can pass this stuff down is because it's all just learned behavior and you know, our behaviors have the capacity to influence the programs on our genes. Right. Brilliantly said. And in addition to that, with our environment today and the lives that we lead and so much stress and stimulation all around us, these stressors that are relatively unavoidable are what has brought about this whole new science on epigenetics and how it's turning on these genes for whether it's autoimmune disorders or yep. even types of cancers and yep. Alzheimer's, like all of these illnesses that are coming about because of generational trauma and then stress in our own lives. And then, you know, we wind up getting sick. 
Yeah. Well, and so that's the difference, right? So with epigenetics, with, with, because epi means like above or on. And so it's the program on a gene. So like maybe the gene can't be changed, but the program on the gene can be changed. So say you're, you know, acting in a certain way, or you're exposed to a certain environment over and over and over again, you have some learned behaviors, again, the continuum, you know, paying it forward, changing the programs on the genes, but you can you can go back, you can revert them, you can change them in all sorts of ways. So I think that that's the, I think one thing that I've learned that it, that makes me just feel so like I'm looking forward and I'm looking ahead and I feel good about the future of, I mean, not only myself, but like just our entire civilization is that we can change. And now there is science. And that's actually a big theme in my book. But now there's science actually stating that to be the truth, because in the past, and I mean, this is the mantra that I grew up on is like, people don't change or, you know, you're overweight because your parents are overweight or you're a drug addict because your parents are a drug addict or an alcoholic, because that's actually not true. I mean, now they're saying that the the science around it is that the genes are 20%, but environment is actually in conditions of our environment is 80% you know, of, of how we end up turning out. So we actually, that, that's like, that's very exciting to know that we're influencing ourselves. You know, we're, we can change. We don't have to be the same as where we come from. And I mean, that's just the undercurrent of my entire book. Wow. Incredible. And so did you have to do a lot of research to learn about let's say the science behind all of this, or was it something that was more a stream of consciousness information that you had within you that you were able to kind of pull out? Oh, man, I wish it was just in me. (laughs) I mean, I guess it was in me the whole time, but I definitely needed a catalyst to pull it out. I mean, all this information in, you know, essence is inside of us and then something triggers it. But no, I actually, um, so when I was 26 or seven, I was in a car accident and um, I was teaching at Yoga Swamis at the time. I was not public about this because I was actually completely ashamed of it. But I started experiencing really severe symptoms of PTSD, a lot of dissociation. I was having just chronic anxiety attacks. And because I was a yoga teacher and like kind of held this position in the community, I wasn't honest about it. I felt like I was really ashamed. And I felt like as a yoga teacher, I should know how to influence my own system. I had no idea what was happening to me. And I went into therapy. Oh my God, I love your dog's face right here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I went into therapy and and she gave me the PTSD diagnosis. And it was, even though it was, um, it was very overwhelming to get that because I knew nothing about PTSD before 2009 or 2010, but I went home and I just started studying and researching. And like now for the first time, I had language for something that I had been experiencing for, you know, it's interesting. I didn't really, I didn't start having anxiety or any of that until the car accident. And the the interesting thing about that is the car accident was actually triggered from 101 things from my past that had happened in a car. It wasn't about that car accident. It was that there was all sorts of stuff living inside me that was unprocessed. And then the car accident triggered it. So that's how it ends up happening for a lot of people. But now all of a sudden I had language for something that I didn't have language for before, like before I was just, it was unknown and I felt out of control, you know? And so that's why I was having these, um, these panic attacks. And, and then once I had the language, I started to educate myself and that's where things really changed. I did a, um, 
a course with Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score. Mm -hmm. um, I did another course with him. I did a course with Stephen Porges, who is the founder or the creator um, of the polyvagal theory. I've been in the somatic experiencing training for the last few years. Before that, I had read every one of Peter Levine's books um, that you could get your hands on. And so, so that's really, that's kind of the evolution of it. You know, I just really, oh, and then I would say my biggest influence actually was um, Michael Stone. He was my Buddhist teacher, but he was also a psychotherapist, a, a trauma educator and a yoga teacher. So it was interesting that he had those confluence of, of, of modalities because those are, those are my three as well. You know, psychology, yoga and Buddhism. And he, the way that he was able to articulate the information was the first time I really was able to understand it because before it's like trauma, trauma, trauma. But what he said was trauma is not an event. Trauma is the way the event affects your system and reorganizes your entire system to basically avoid ever feeling that feeling ever again or the possibility of your imminent death. Mm. And so, I mean, that was what I was like, oh my gosh, it's not because, you know, when we were growing up, trauma was like, um, could be a one-time event, like, um, you know, a car accident, or it could be something like torture or rape or, you know, something like that. But what I found out is, no, it's like every single person on planet earth has trauma, little blips inside their nervous system, like little hiccups that like these little tears in the fabric of, of basically someone's wholeness, you know, and, and stitching that back together by understanding what happened, working with our nervous system, you know, to let the energy resolve itself because trauma is nervous system dysfunction. It's like, there's this up, 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 and then there's nowhere for it to go, mm -hmm. you know? So, so working with the nervous system to be able to resolve the dysfunction letting the system settle, working with the feelings, images, um, you know, thoughts, tastes, like your whole sensate experience, your, your felt sense. I mean, healing trauma is really about like healing the organism of the body. And I think for many years we were just stuck in the mind and it's like, it happened to the body. So you have to work right. with the body. So fascinating. And in so many different ways, I can relate. I mean, from being in a car accident and still experiencing anxiety when, when I drive. And yep. for me, I had a lot of really traumatizing experiences in my upbringing and my young adulthood, including some of the things that you listed off. Yeah. And when we go back even beyond our lives, but to the fascinating lives of your parents or my parents and our grandparents, my grandparents left Nazi Germany during the Holocaust as, you know, Jewish people. Yeah. And that, that stays with you and it's passed down, I think. Yeah. Well, and it's so, it's fascinating because what I've realized now that I have the language and education for is it's really just all learned nervous system patterns, right? So if your grandparents respond to something a certain way, and then they're raising their own children and they're teaching their children to respond to that thing in the same way, then your mother raises you, teaching you to respond to that thing in the same way. It's like, it's, it's the same nervous system pattern. And it really is 
things don't change and unless we can become aware of them. Right. Like, how can you change something that you're not even aware of? And that's what's so, you know, amazing and exciting about our millennial generation. I mean, they call us like the wellness generation, <laughs> you know, because we're starting to have these conversations. These conversations are becoming more normalized. We're, you know, we all are wanting to take care, take better care of ourselves and heal ourselves. And, and, and part of that is that we have so much access to information and to technology and which is also the bane of us, <laughs> you know, it's like, Absolutely. it's the very thing that's compromising our nervous systems are also the very things that are helping educate us so we can heal them. It's so true. And I couldn't agree more. I'm in this constant battle with this necessary evil called self-promotion on Instagram. <laughs> it is not something that I'm joyful about, but it's something that has to some degree helped my, my yoga business, let's call it grow. But at the same time, it's stressful and there's all of this comparison going on online. It's like, I just wanna post my thing and then, and then put it away. I know that's hard though, too, because one thing that I do is I, I just remember that I am very passionate about my information and what I know has helped me so much. And all I want to do is share it. I just want to share it. And so when I'm writing something or, you know, sharing, like promoting a class or that's what it's about. It's not about for me, again, coming from a place of privilege, it's not about money. It's about getting this information out to as many people as possible for, because even the way, I mean, I don't think you've been to one of my yoga classes in a, in a million years, if not ever, but I, I don't come in a while. Yeah. I, and I don't come from a, it's my teaching is so different now because it really is. It's like, I, it's a nervous system practice. And, and for me, I try to keep it. I, I try to keep, make it, make the technology so accessible because this is one of the things that happened to me after I got diagnosed with PTSD. I was like, oh my God, I don't even, I felt like the yoga that I had learned had failed me because I was all wrapped up in Anyasara and all this cosmic language and blah, 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 blah. I didn't even know what the fuck it was. Right. And then all of a sudden, when I started really understanding the, the, the mind body system and how it works, I'm like, Oh my God, everyone needs to know this information because this is literally like going to be the difference between, you know, someone being sane and someone going crazy. And if we know how to, like my vision is, I, I think yoga is going to change. This is part of my next book. I think there's basically like a post yoga world. I think it is more community oriented. I think the practices and the technology are not they're not dualistic. They're non-dualistic. They are lots of different technologies and modalities all blended together that really help people. And that's like, I come from a place of so many of my teachers were so, there was so much duality. There was so much tradition. And like, I'm like, let's do away with that because that's actually, I think it's continuing to hurt people. Like, well, this is right. And this is wrong. It's like, who's to say what's right or wrong for anyone, you know, there you're an individual and you need to learn how to listen to yourself and, and develop practices and work with practices that, that are, you know, best suited and basically designed and prescribed for whatever it is that you have going on. 
Absolutely. You know, so, so that's not, now I just spoiled the next book, but that's That's very exciting. I can see that. And, and I'm excited for that. I think our community needs that direction, Mm -hmm. less rigidity and less rules. You have to do it this way. Like, well, and the, the rigidity, um, you know, the, the, this is right. And this is wrong. And this is, it, it doesn't give someone agency to make up their own mind, you know? And here we go to all these yoga classes and, and it's like, well, listen to yourself, but not like that. Right. Wait, but listen to yourself. Hey, don't do it like that though. It's like, that's a very confusing, conflicting message, you know? And I think that we need to, and this is kind of like, I feel like my yoga classes now, I mean, even though there's a lot of information and education, I just try to make them fun. You know, I try to, I, because that's, what's going to get people to come back, especially the people who, you know, they might not be able to articulate what I can articulate is going on, but they feel it. They're like, Whoa, that, well, that was like, that was fun. And, and I wasn't bored out of my mind and she didn't say anything that freaked me out or, you know, and she was like joking and laughing and, so I just try to keep it at that place these days because, because the, the work will work on you and you'll feel it and you might not be able to articulate what you're feeling, but I tell you, your system will say, you need to go back there. You yeah. need to do that again because we all just want to feel good. Like we're sick of feeling like shit, obviously. So true. And I'm in that boat too. I'm sick of feeling this way. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had a traumatic brain injury a couple of years ago, and it's been this just cascade of, of course, it's impacted my nervous system in a negative way. And, and like you're saying, to be in an environment where it's so healing for the tone of your yeah. nervous system and the work yeah. will work on you, whether you realize it or not, I think that's such an amazing gift that you're giving to your students. And I mean, and myself, like to just have this time, you know, but, but that's the thing is, is, um, you know, when I, when I showed up to therapy, I would have done anything for someone to take away what I was feeling. You know, I get why people take the medicine. I get why people just want, you know, the silver bullet and the quick fix. I wanted it. And that was really hard for me when my therapist was like, yep, no, uh-uh, nothing you can do except nothing I can do, only things that you can do, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. because the reality is, so when you start responding to things in a certain way, and this is what's so terrifying and keeps us wrapped up in these crazy loops, right? Because I, Alia, my car accident was, I mean, I'm 38. So it was 10 years ago, you know, or 11 years ago, whenever it was. And I am only right now driving my car again, for real. Like I could, I could bump around town. I could, um, but even that would, anytime I would get stuck in a stoplight or anywhere that felt, con, con, um, I felt constricted, I would start having an anxiety attack. And I have um, something that's called a dorsal vagal shutdown, which is like a full immobility response of my body, which is also another reason why I ended up getting into this work. But so when I start panicking, I have the possibility of losing consciousness, fainting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that's how my body responds to the dorsal vagal shutdown. 
but anyway, so when I would be at stoplights, I would really feel it. I would, uh, you know, and so the more I was responding this with this fear, like, oh God, oh God, the more you strengthen that response, you know, the more this ends up becoming, I mean, this is really the anatomy of a personality, anatomy of a behavior, anatomy, you know, of a pattern, of a habit. And I mean, this is the very thing that yoga is asking us to examine. And all of these practices is like, you know, no one can decondition your nervous system for you, only you can. And that was a very, very hard reality for me to learn. And also the, the greatest revelation of my life, because now I'm like, holy shit, I am in control of my body. I know how my body works, my automatic body, my, like, I, I, I know, you know, and there's, I mean, that is the greatest feeling ever that like, I actually have some control over my nervous system, you know? And so when I feel these feelings coming on, instead of responding to them the way that I always have, which only perpetuates that, you know, cycle of suffering, I have tools and resources at this point. Cause, cause that's the thing is trauma's never gone. Like you don't forget the memory. Some of those feelings might always come up. But like the wound in a sense is always there, but you're not so affected by it, or you have tools and resources to be able to work with that thing when it comes up. And the more your system starts to settle and not react, the more that becomes your baseline when whatever that trigger trigger is that comes up. And, and that's where I'm at now. And now, like after 10 years of going, I mean, I literally was like, oh my God, I'm never going to be able it's just making me tear up even thinking about it because you're not free. You know, if you don't have agency, if you can't drive your car, if you have to have other people driving you around and running your errands because you're afraid to leave your house, you're not free. So it's pretty amazing to like, and it was really the gift of COVID that that helped me get there, you know, it's because, because it's a, there's a big difference between um, intellectually understanding these things, which I knew these things for many years, I've been studying it now for almost a decade, and embodying it. Those are different things. Absolutely. You know, well, Lauren, thank you for being not only authentic, but vulnerable with us today. And I have so much respect for you and the work that you've done for yourself and that you're sharing with others. I am curious if there are any tools in your tool belt, suggestions that you can give to listeners who may be at a very high baseline with their nervous system, fight, flight, freeze response, or always in sympathetic nervous system mode. Are there some suggestions that you have, some simple tools that you can share? Yeah, I mean, anything to get you into parasympathetic, you know, and so anything to stimulate and trigger your vagus nerve. And really the 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 quickest, most expedited way is going to be through breathing, you know, mm-hmm. slowing down your exhale, slowing down your exhale or box breathing, sometimes, which is you know, you can do a four second inhale, a four second hold, a four second exhale, a four second hold. I go much longer than that. The perfect breath is actually six seconds. So that's actually what I would recommend. But sometimes when your heart is racing, it's hard to get a six second count. Um, So I would say, check out our breath collective. Those people are doing some good work over there. Start researching 
um, breath work because that's the game changer for the nervous system is the respiratory system and, you know, affects every other system in the body. And then another thing, if you don't have access, if, if you're someone that's like afraid of your own breath because of the way that you can influence your own heart, heartbeat, um, I would say visualization, you know, visualize or get a service animal. Like that's been a game changer for me, <laughs> you know, having a dog, but you know, a vis visualization that can really help to anything that can get you to calm your nervous system down and probably completely extracting yourself from, and I know this isn't always possible, but extracting yourself from whatever the environment is and the conditions that are perpetuating that response in your system. Excellent. I love suggestions like that because it's something that you can be in control of. You can do at any time. It doesn't cost any money to sit down and focus on your breath. And, and what you're talking about with the vagus nerve is so important to not only learn about for ourselves, but talk about and educate on because it's something that's not super easy to access. But once you do develop some tools or skills, whether it's with breath work, or I've even found humming and gargling to help calm my nervous system through tone for the vagus nerve. That exactly, exactly. The positive impact is incredible. Yeah. You know, what's also interesting is that um, the humming actually, because I'm like, what? I mean, I, I know a lot about humming, but I learned this other thing that is very fascinating, which is that it increases nitrous oxide in the body, which triggers the parasympathetic nervous system. So even yeah. literally just like, hmm, 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 hmm. I mean, and it sounds so silly, you know, but it's just like, dude, this shit works. Like yeah. <laughs> if you, this stuff works. I mean, if you're ever feeling anxious, I mean, that's a great thing to do. Hum, sing a song, sing the entire song. If you know, like a four minute song, oh my gosh, that's like a game changer. Absolutely. And a simple thing that we're not being told in the news or, you know, it's so interesting that the news isn't telling us about ways to stay healthy and maximize our immune system. That's a whole nother rabbit hole soapbox I can go down, but we're not taught this in school either. No, no. And this, I mean, this is something that I've been saying, like our ignorance is systemic, <laughs> you know? So like we haven't been taught why are we taught the, you know, some of the things that we're taught that we are literally like trigonometry? Like, are we ever going to do anything with trigonometry unless you're like 0.00001% of the population? No. Like, why, why aren't we having classes that teach us how to balance a damn check, checkbook or like, exactly. you know what I mean? Stuff like that or how to manage. I, I really think the, the education and curriculum of the future really does need to to be centered around like mental health should be the centerpiece. And it is the centerpiece of absolutely everything I do at this point. And, and it's not, I mean, it's not just because of me, it's like, it's because everyone that I come from every, every person in my family is an addict, you know, and has mental health issues. And it's because they have gnarly unresolved trauma. You know, I just look at my brother, Jesse, he's a heroin addict. He hasn't spoken to any of us in, in years. And he's my stepbrother. But when he was a child, he was playing hide and go seek with his brother and his brother, he couldn't find his brother and he found his brother hours later and he had had a brain aneurysm and he died. And Jesse always thought it was his fault. Afterwards, his parents broke up because they couldn't, you know, connect and they had their unresolved grief. Then he thought that was his fault. 
no wonder why he wound up on drugs because he cannot tolerate his reality. And that's the reality for all addicts. You know, it's not, there is not some, something wrong with this person. There is not, there is like really deep unresolved shit that thus, you know, they can't, they, they, they can't feel what it feels like to just be alive because it's too painful. And so they take substances to help numb their experience. And I think the more education we can have around all of this, the more compassionate we, we can be. And that this goes back to what that girl said about my book is it really does dissolve the, you know, that binary between good and evil. There just is no such thing. Everyone is inherently good and then shitty things happen. And then we do shitty things as a result. <laughs> you know? Man, that really sums it up. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> For all of us. I mean, everyone yeah. can relate. Absolutely. So I've, I've seen some excerpts from your book, Shit House, coming up next year. So 2022, it'll release. I've no, seen. 20, 20, oh, yeah, it's 2022. Yeah. Okay. So I've seen some of your work just in excerpts on social media. And you're an incredible writer. I mean, the story, mm -hmm. the picture that you paint, the story that you tell, it's not only visceral, like I can feel it, but it's also captivating. Like it's, it's tragic in a way, but beautiful in others. Like it's really dynamic the way you've painted this picture of your life. Yeah. I mean, I didn't paint the picture. It's, it is my life. <laughs> so, but the words that you yeah. use. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I really do. I've been thinking about this because it's like when you're publishing a book, you have to have a sales pitch and you have to, I mean, you just basically have to like sell what your project is. And I'm like, mine is some like modern, dark, disgusting, but true, raw and honest fairy tale. Because mm -hmm. to be able to get to where I've gotten, I, I've just been through so much, yeah. you know, and I wouldn't take any of it back. And, um, but the writing part, I think I always had a natural, I always wanted to be a writer. I ended up becoming a yoga teacher because I was able to make some money teaching yoga. And also I'm so glad now because gosh, now that I know how to like work my own system, I really needed that, you know, Absolutely. but, um, but I always wanted to be a writer. And then I actually, in 2015, when I started this project, I started working with someone who I entered a, a workshop for the manuscript at the end of this workshop. Um, and it was all published authors. And she said to me, um, she didn't say it. Another teacher said it, but she ended up working with me on it. But he said, you know, you've got, you, you've got the best stories, but you're the worst writer. So there's a craft, there's an art to it. And the woman who is kind of co-facilitating the workshop, who's the um, literature professor at UCSD, she basically took me under her wing and I pretty much got like an MFA through her over the last five years privately. Um, and it's been amazing. I mean, it was costly, but I will say that if I, like it allows me to tell my story in such a more effective way, you know, now that I understand the craft. And so I always tell people like, oh, you want to write a book? Well, like hire someone and under like learn this and take some workshops and read some books and or go take some courses. And I have all those resources for people too. And, and that's going to help really expedite your writing journey. And then you don't have to do what I did, which is write an entire manuscript first and then wow. have to delete it and start again, you know. Unreal. Um, yeah. But and and also it's so, I mean, it literally is just so 
been the most cathartic experience. I, even if someone doesn't want to um, publish a book, I highly recommend that everyone write their story. And, and now there's even science around, um, you know, and, and people are using this as a kind of prescriptive antidote to healing PTSD is for people to write because what it does is when you start putting your experience down on paper, it helps you kind of organize it just helps you organize your experience in a way that you couldn't see it before because oftentimes when it's all locked up inside of us it's just like a tornado you know and that was my experience it needed to go somewhere because staying inside of me it was only hurting me and so every time I've written my story every time I've taken a workshop every time someone has helped me like I understand myself and and my family even more and so you know the bigger picture of the shithouse of that book is like, I mean, literally everyone is forgiven. Everyone. I'm forgiven for all the stupid shit I did. Mom is forgiven. Everyone is forgiven. I love all of them so much. And I can't believe what everyone went through, you know, and it makes sense that my mom did some of the shit she, that she did. And it makes sense that my dad was a heroin addict and in and out of prison my whole life and just all of it. And even my relationship that is barely in my book, because I just didn't want to deal with the repercussions, but my relationship with my sister, you know, is like, we have such a damaged relationship and I hope one day we can heal it. But, you know, we were two little kids whose parents couldn't attune to us. And so we fought and competed for any shreds of attention we can get. And, you know, it created a really hostile competitive dynamic that unfortunately somehow we are still locked up in and we're like 40. You know? wow. I'm like, can we move on already? She's, she's not very happy about my book. So Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting the differences in people's personalities and how they wind up processing or not processing life's experiences because you would hope with the fact that you've both been through the the upbringing with your parents who were not there for you in the ways that you needed that she would want to, you know, at least be happy for you to have found an avenue to process and heal and help others like yeah I think she is I do I think deep down she really is but I have uh my thought is everyone is responsible for doing their own work and for processing their own emotions she is more a lot she's like you're gonna hurt mom you know this is too much information or you know she's really protective of 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 our mother and I am too I, I love my mom I mean god I support my mom's entire life I, I, I adore her, but it took a, I only like started talking to my mom in like the last three years, you know, that's, that's a, if it wasn't for this book, I wouldn't have been able to forgive my mother, you know? And so, so I think Leah is deeply happy, happy for me. I think she's worried I'm going to hurt my mother, but I'm, I, I think we're going to get through it. If anything, maybe it will bring us closer. Maybe she'll know some things about me she didn't know before. You know, I don't expect a I'm sorry because that's not what it's about. It's it's really about compassion and understanding everyone's experience. And healing for yourself, which helps to heal generations before and, and generations to come. Yeah, I mean, they, it, before they were saying seven generations, but I was just reading something and now they're saying 12 generations because- Again, all of our behaviors are learned. And if you have a child, which I don't know that I'm going to have a child, but if you if you have a child, you're teaching them all of your behaviors that you learn from your parents that you learn. So if you can break that cycle and teach, you know, that kid 
new patterns, new psychology, and, you know, just create an entire new matrix for that person. I mean, that's literally going to change the, the direction and, and destiny of like everyone that comes after you. Absolutely. Amazing. The power that we have in the ways that we treat ourselves, treat one another and, and the work that we do in our lives. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I feel very like, I wrote this the other day on my social media, but a lot of people have asked me about, you know, publishing a memoir that has characters that are still living. And my father died in prison. Um, I can't even remember uh, 10 years ago now, um, 2007, more 2010. I can't even remember 2010 or 11, I think. So I guess 10 years ago. Um, But a lot of people, you know, wonder about how I do that. And again, it's like, everyone has their own responsibility to take care of other them, their own emotions. I cannot, I, you know, it, it's, it's not my job to process other people's experience. And I think when, when, when people can start getting more on board with that program and stop the people pleasing, which is really just a sign of unresolved trauma, perfectionism, um, we're going to be a lot happier. You know, we're going to start living from our hearts rather than these kind of compartmentalized places that we're living from because that's how we've been taught. You know, our mom said, don't do this. Or our dad said, don't do this. And then you cut that part of you off and, and then you're never a whole person. So like, I'm just living my truth. This is, uh, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to, of course I'm a human and I do dumb shit, (laughs) you know, um, that I'm sometimes embarrassed or ashamed of, but I'll I'll be the, maybe not the first to admit it, but maybe the second or third. Totally. So that's so important to remember. I have to remind myself sometimes you're a human, you're going to do dumb, dumb shit and (laughs) learn from it because that's what it's there for. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I just, there's been a lot of, it's, it's just been like an interesting journey, you know, and especially as a business owner and whoa, going through coronavirus and, and like, I mean, I would, it's tough because I always try to like my default is to just go to humor. And there were some moments during, you know, the pandemic in 2020 and, you know, around uh, the Black Lives Matters and after George Floyd was murdered that I posted like just stuff, something that I thought was funny that other people were just completely horrified. And, and it's as a, as a business owner, like, I mean, I got annihilated so many times for not saying the right thing, for saying the wrong thing for, and I would literally get into dialogue on the back end of Gather's um, Instagram where people thought I was being sarcastic. Cause I was like, well, can you tell me why? Can you tell me why you feel, because I'm genuinely interested. Like I want to know more points of view so I can educate myself. Like I didn't make a statement right after black lives matters, you know, the whole uprising because I had no idea what even the vernacular, what I didn't even know what was going on. Like I, I needed some time to educate myself. And I feel like what people were doing is they're like, I'm not racist four seconds later. Like someone tell me what to say. Okay. This person said this, I copy paste here, put it in my, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do, you know, my due diligence and I'm going to do my own work. And, and, and when I feel like I have a point of view, when I feel like I've metabolized information, then I will say something. And I also was able to say, wow, I apologize. I could see how, you know, you could feel like that. You know what? I'm going to take that post down. And, but it's, it's hard as on my, on my personal feed, I probably wouldn't do that. Like, no, this is how I feel. And I'm okay with it. But as a business owner, I feel like it can be, you know, challenging. 
You know, the whole fusion of yoga with business, I'm struggling right now. I don't want to have my career as far as what I need to do to make money be also what I need to do to be of service and fulfill my passions. It's like those things are not working well together for me personally right now. And I can totally relate with regards to what do you say and when's the right time to say it? And what if, goodness forbid, I don't agree with what someone else is saying? Yeah. Well, and that, and that's the thing is, is you don't have to agree, you know, and if you're okay with, because I am, I'm okay with ruffling feathers. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with people not liking me. I'm okay. Like, I'm just okay with that, you know, but if you're not okay with that, that's really hard, you know, and because we do have tribal psychology. And I mean, if you just look at the evolution of our being, we need to be liked, you know, we need to be for people to think that we're, you know, good enough to have sex with so they can proliferate their genes. You know, I mean, I'm just talking about like animal kingdom. If you get left behind, you die. And so sometimes when we ruffle feathers or we say the wrong thing or someone is mad at us, it can feel like that. It can feel like, oh my God, I feel like I'm going to die right now. I said the wrong thing, you know, but I, I feel like if anything came out of the Black Lives Matters movement, which is still going on people, it's not over. Totally. We continue to educate ourselves. We continue to do good work, but uh, you know, you know, one of the things that I feel like came out of that was normalizing this narrative of, you know, maybe like I'm allowed to change my mind. Like maybe I don't feel like that. Maybe you're enlightening me enough that, that it is changing my mind. Hey, I apologize. I'm going to do better or no, I actually feel like that. And it's okay. Allow me to have my feelings. And the challenging thing is that social media gives us way too much access I also feel like, I mean, part of the next book is literally how the business of yoga and social media and celebrityism via social media has literally ruined yoga <laughs> just straight up. Yeah. And, and the challenging thing is, is like, okay, well, what does a post yoga world look like? Because these practices are so powerful, but can we give the, you know, the, the ethics, the philosophy, can we give it all a makeover and so it's more inclusive. So, because I was thinking this years ago, I didn't, I couldn't articulate it, but this was the birthing of gather. This was like, no, I'm not going to have a yoga studio. I'm going to have like a, a community center. I mean, community yeah. care is just something that came out. That word just came out the last year or so, you know, but I was thinking this all along, like, no, I'm just going to have these spaces and I'm going to do these different things. And honestly, I have a few teachers that were not happy about the route I took. They were like, you're the person that's diluting yoga by adding all these other practices in and having all these other educators come in and, you know, moving away from tradition. But no, I just like, I, I could, I, I'm a visionary. Like I could literally see all this coming a long time ago. <laughs> I'm like, nah, I'm not on that, that bandwagon anymore. I'm just going to do my own thing. And, and people are responding to it. You know, I can't believe how many I get emails every day from people asking to have co-op consults. Like I can't, I don't yeah. even respond to them anymore because, because I do think it's the model of the future is like lots of people coming together with a, you know, a shared vision and which is really mental health and, you know, coming together to pay the bills because unfortunately with independent yoga studios, like I think they're probably mostly all going to go down at yeah. some point. 
And the only people that are going to be left are, you know, some of the chain yoga studios and that's fine, obviously as well. And gyms. Yeah. You know, so I think, yeah. A platform like yours where it's more co-op style and, and a space for people to really show up and share what they have. Well, and it just gives everyone so much more ownership. And when you take more ownership, you're more involved. Like you will back that brand because also a lot of the people that we have at Gather, I mean, these are people that have so much education and they also want to get paid for it. And the co-op model, you know, everyone just pays their rent and our rent is, you know, our teacher's rent. I make it, I've never changed it. Not since Yoga Swamis. It has always been the same. And, you know, none of these teachers pay more than $35 a class. And if they have a big following, I mean, I'm, uh, if you've got 30, 40 people in the room and everyone's paying 15, $20, that's paying you way more than any educator around. I mean, that's paying you what a lawyer gets paid for an hour and a half. Totally. Totally. So love that. So how can people find you and work with you? How can people get in touch? Yeah. Okay. So I'm not really like these days, I'm not really, you know, pub, I'm not teaching too many public classes. I do teach one class a week in Ojai on Sunday morning. Um, you can zoom it. It's through the studio up here, which is light and space. My gather and Sanitas, which is my business, you can go on the library there and there's lots of classes. And I encourage people just take my classes for free. Go on the library. Don't worry about donating unless you can afford to and just take classes. You can go on my own personal profile, um, Dolly Duke 83. Same thing. There's lots of Instagram lives and Instagram TVs. And if, if you want to just take class, I'm happy to just share that information. Feel free, donate if you want. And I, I don't have my personal website up yet, but I will soon. So people can just really connect with me through Instagram, through Gather Encinitas, through Dolly Duke 83, um, and through the Gather Encinitas website. Awesome. And I'll get links from you, Lauren, so that I can include them in the show notes for easy navigation. And when can we pre-order Shithouse? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I'm thinking probably by, by November. I just know the date that it's coming out. It's all like things just happen so fast and there's so many things to pay attention to. Like I just finished my book cover and now there's like 500 other things that I have to do. Um, it comes out January 11th, 2022. What a great Um, date. Oh my God. One, 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 two, two. The numeral super strong on that, um, on that date. But I think by November, you'll be able to pre-order. So I will make sure that everyone has, you know, that information and also fingers crossed, I can sell the book proposal for my new book because I really do think it is the future of yoga. Love it so much. Love everything about who you are. I mean, I've, I've really appreciated the time that we've gotten to share today and also in person. You know, I, I hope that if you're willing that you'll come back on the show sometime in the future, share more about your books and the next evolution of, of the things that you're doing and creating. Yeah. You know, one thing, if you look on Gather Encinitas, because we are, we do do a lot of like writing stuff. You know, I've been doing the hundred days of writing and And um, we're like 60 days in and we've got 500 people doing that. And, you know, we host like Zooms, free Zooms with writing teachers. And so I'm, I'm definitely doing a lot of writing stuff these days. And if you just follow the Gather Encinitas page or my own personal Instagram, 
you can find out more about that. And I'm, I'm not like a, I don't, I don't look at it as self-promotion as, as much as I just reframing it to sharing information that I really feel like will benefit people. Perfect. Amazing. So everyone who's tuning in, please go check out Lauren Duke, her Instagram, Gather Encinitas on Instagram as well. I'll have everything linked below in the show notes and practice with her, write with her, you know, get in touch. You're just a wealth of knowledge and such a inspiring and also authentic human. And I really appreciate who you are and what you're doing. Oh, I love you so much. Thank you. That literally is like, maybe I'm just emotional today, but, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I wish we could have hung out earlier. Um, and we will, we will. And thank you for having me. Oh, that interview had me laughing, crying, feeling, and healing, to be honest with you. I believe that if you can feel it, you can heal it. And oftentimes, the most challenging part is really feeling into the dark corners and crevices that have collected cobwebs, if not cables, from wanting to forget about the past. This work, whether it's inner child or shadow work, is so profound. And if I can share one piece of advice, it's not to be afraid of the work, even though it may be challenging or at times even painful. Be afraid of not doing the work and letting trauma either from your life or the lives of your ancestors stay present in your cells, DNA, and nervous system. When you do the healing for yourself, you are also healing generations before you and generations to come. So don't be afraid of doing the work. Be afraid of not doing the work, as unhealed trauma has a host of detriments, including contributing to the manifestation of dis-ease. It was such an honor and a pleasure to have Lauren on the show today. I'll have all of her social links and a link to pre-order Shithouse in the show notes below. If there's something that stood out to you in particular from today's episode, please take a screenshot and share it on your social media. Tag at Alia Yoga, at What's Wellness Podcast, at Gather Encinitas, and or at Dolly Duke 83, spelled D-O-L-L-I-E-D-U-K-E. And we'll be sure to reshare. It's also super helpful if you head to the iTunes podcast app and leave a rating and review. I always love your feedback and it helps What's Wellness podcast to grow. As always, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, or requests, or if you need support in any way, please reach out to me. My email is alia at aliayoga.com, spelled A-H-L-I-A. I'm still offering live vinyasa flow classes online every Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is an all-levels donation-based class on Zoom and also live in What's Wellness podcast on Instagram. I also have recorded classes on my website, aliayoga.com, 
for unlimited use with a one-time purchase price of $15. If you want to join me for my next outdoor, in-person, small group, donation-based vinyasa class, please make sure you are getting my emails as the schedule for those classes go out in my newsletter first. I'm not fixated on releasing episodes on a regular schedule right now, but I do have more incredible interviews to share with you to be released soon. So please subscribe so you know when episodes come out. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm sending you love from my heart in hopes that you are feeling supported, cared about, and appreciated. Until next time. Be well.